welcome to a new series we are calling Conversations With. My name is Shaylee Hugendorn and I live with Bipolar 2 Disorder. And my name is Julie Kraft and I am also living with Bipolar 2 Disorder. Julie and I believe in the power of storytelling. We know that sharing with others is healing both individually and collectively. There are so many different experiences. So we wanted to share more stories of Bipolar with you and interview others. Our stories are powerful. They can become a source of strength and hope and inspiration. Our voices need to be heard. Our stories aren't over yet. This is Bipolar. everyone welcome back to this is bipolar conversations with i am so pumped today because i have sharice jewel with me and sharice has been around since we started our instagram she i always see her likes and she comments and it was just so encouraging in the beginning when you're like is anybody out there <laughs> like is anyone gonna listen and so um yeah and then i saw that she wrote a book that we're going to talk about and so i was so excited when she said yes to be on here i would love to read her, her bio to you so you know a little bit more about her before we start so here we go it says a voracious and reader and inspiring writer since childhood, Sharice Jewell was born in Germiston, South Africa, and immigrated to Canada when she was seven years old. She holds an honor B Eng, which is engineer, right? Bachelor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In mechanical engineering from McGill University in Montreal. She's smart, y'all. And worked as a ro robotics engineer for 15 years before having children and becoming a writer. She proudly lives with bipolar disorder and educates for the fair and dignified treatment of the mentally ill. Sharice lives in Toronto, Canada with her husband and three children. And you can find more information. We'll put it all in the show notes of her website and find out more about her. Um, I love that, like robotic engineer. How it was pretty fun. First, thank you, Shaylee. Thank you for having me here and for that great introduction. Yeah, it was fun being a robotics engineer. <laughs> yeah, I often, um, I often think about like really creative or really intricate jobs. I'm also wondering, I'm like, yeah, our brains, our brains can do those hard creative things, right? For sure. And um, yeah, Awesome. So I would love to start um, just diving into your story. Um, I luckily got to read the book. And so I know a lot of things. So I have so many questions. But I wanted to start off with when did you know um, something was wrong, that something um, didn't feel right? Tell us about that. Yeah. So um, I've kind of, I've been more of a depressed kind of a bipolar person for my most of my adult life and I don't I didn't always think there was a problem because it always seemed to be kind of seasonal or related to um, when I had a really horrible experience I was I would the result was that I would feel depressed but when I shortly after I turned 40 I, um, I just couldn't sleep that following spring my birthday's in December and through winter I'm often depressed and then spring I come out of it and I, I feel much better but that's that spring in 2017 
I couldn't sleep at all. And for a period of about two weeks, I was getting about three to four hours per night. Wow. So it was brutal. Yeah, it was awful. But I also, I still didn't think too much of it at the time because I've always had trouble sleeping and I've always just, you know, come through it and gone back to regular sleep. But what, what triggered me to think, wow, something is actually wrong was um, the Friday night before, so I'd been not sleeping for almost a full two weeks. And the Friday night before Mother's Day weekend, I, I cooked dinner for my family and it was, um, I thought it was this amazing feast that I'd prepared lovingly for hours. And when I went to serve it, um, my husband was, I write about this in the book, but when I went to serve it, my husband was like, what is this? What are you serving us? This is garbage. And I was like, no, what do you, how could you say that? How could you say this is garbage? And when I looked, it was literally garbage. Like it was bones and scraps from the compost bin that I'd cooked. Like I'd fried everything together and I'd put stuff in the crock pot and I'd served it all excitedly. And I'd never realized that it was there was anything wrong with that. So when that hit me, I was like, what is happening? Like something is wrong. And I just, I couldn't even face it. I was so overwhelmed by like, what is going on with me? And that was the Friday night, the Monday um, morning, I was in the hospital because it it was just to the point of, wow, this is. And I just love the description in the book because you are, you're just, you're thinking this is magical and beautiful and this is the perfect ingredient. And just, I think it just describes mania so well because it, it, it just this feeling like it's true. It feels really, really true. And like, you didn't see that it was, that it was compost. Wow. Yeah. And I think you hit it. It does describe mania really well. Um, What I thought at the time, what I still think, and what I've heard a lot of other people agree with me about is we start from this logic. Like we start from a a position of this makes sense. I'm going to do this and it's going to be marvelous. And we just run with it. And then before we know it, it's like, wait, what did I do? <laughs> but right. it starts from a place of something that could be fantastic. And then yeah. at some point turns a little bit. Yeah. 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 And Julie and I talk about that a lot with us, um, with our treatment, we take medication and just how, even though it mutes it and luckily doesn't take it all away, but we're able to more harness um, our creativity. Right. Whereas like totally. you said, it can, it can get away get away with you. So when you notice, like when your husband had said, like, this is compost, like we aren't going to eat this. Um, were you like, were you, was it quite obvious to you? Were you offended? Were you like, oh, there's something really wrong? Or did you just think, oh, this is a one-off? What a silly mistake. Like, tell us what you were thinking then. Yeah, no, it was, I was really offended because I, I thought he was being very critical and insulting. And, you know, why don't you cook dinner then? If, if this yeah. is such garbage. Like I was very um, angry in the moment. And then when I realized, yes, this is, bones and you know like tea bags and whatever it is I I was really just I was perplexed I couldn't understand what had happened and I felt really um on the hook like I felt my my family was everybody was sitting there staring at me like what just happened and I had no answer and I felt really um embarrassed that I had no answer so I made a joke like I was I made a like I said, something like, oh, ha, ha, I'm just kidding. This is just a joke dinner or something. And then I just left. I just walked away from the kitchen because I couldn't 
I was so overwhelmed. I couldn't look at them. I knew I was going to start crying. I was just, I didn't know what to do. And I just went in the dining, like in the other room and sat down and just stared out the window thinking like, what is happening? What is going on? And I couldn't come up with any kind of answer. I think the best I came up with was like, I must just be tired. If I sleep, maybe I'll be okay tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, that was me. That was my, I had a two week same thing, not sleeping. And I just kept thinking like, oh, I'll be better if I sleep. Oh, I'll be better if I sleep. And that's what ended me up in the hospital that I was like, um, I went to emerge because I was like, I literally thought I said to my husband, if I don't sleep tonight, like, I think I will die. Mm-hmm. And I was completely serious because I just mm-hmm. couldn't be up. And then you're up with your thoughts, right? Totally. So walk me through that. So you go to bed that night. Do you get any sleep? Same thing, like three, four hours. So my, I'd fallen into this like lovely habit of every night I would go to bed around 11, between 11 and midnight, lie there for an hour or two, unable to sleep. And then I would get up and I would go downstairs to the basement and I would just organize. I would go through, we still had boxes from when we moved in. So I would just be organizing and unpacking and decluttering. And it was spring. So I was in that kind of mood mm-hmm. anyway. And I would kind of work there for a good two or three hours before and I just have my music playing like it was wonderful it felt like this productive chunk of time in the night where I could get this stuff finally done and then um and then I'd eventually fall back fall asleep around three or four and I'd wake up around six or seven and so the same that Friday night it was the same thing I, I tried the same going to bed it didn't work so I went and just worked on whatever boxes needed unpacking and then eventually I fell asleep we were traveling to Edmonton so at that point we were living in Calgary in Alberta so um, on the Saturday morning we were traveling to Edmonton for the day and my husband was like I don't know if we should be going to Edmonton and I I just like I was just so um, in denial I blew it off like no no it's fine I slept okay I'll sleep you know I thought that was okay at the time I feel fine let's just go And so we did, we went to Edmonton and I'm terrible in hotels anyway. So we were staying just the one night in Edmonton and I can never sleep. So I didn't sleep at all that night, the Saturday night. Yeah. And then Sunday was mother's day. So that is, you know, a day of celebration and euphoria if you're a mother. And so it was in our, for us, we woke, well, my family woke up in the hotel and I was desperate to leave Edmonton because I'd been lying in bed all night with racing thoughts because I couldn't go down to my basement to just deal with right. whatever yeah, distraction. Yeah, yeah. So we went home and through the through that day, I didn't do anything really out of sorts. It was the same kind of create creative mood. I was doing I was very artistic at the time. Anything I wanted to create, I would just had to create right in the moment. And I was building these little like statues everywhere with my kids' toys, like with Lego or whatever small pieces that were so whimsical and I found them so entertaining. So I was just doing these things that delighted me through the day and being treated like a queen. (laughs) So who wouldn't be in a good mood, right? right? And then same thing that night, I didn't sleep much. I did my usual unpacking routine. And the next day things just, my husband stayed home from work and it just spiraled once he was home and could actually see how I was behaving through the day. And by that point, my speech had become very erratic and I was, I couldn't stop talking. I was blurting out all my ideas too quickly. And, and so then that's when he took me to the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. And then did you feel, um, do you get frustrated when people don't keep up 
they don't where you oh, yeah. with that yeah 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 <laughs> I, I mean I do now even when I'm stable but you know as a mom you develop techniques to be very quick and as a yeah. bipolar person I think I think a lot of us develop a lot of efficiencies that even when we're not manic if my kids are struggling to understand or like respond right away I, I do yeah I get frustrated yeah yeah I get like that too um with especially like with my husband right like I dismiss his ideas really quickly because I think that I, I'm thought it through and I've already figured out that it's not the best way yeah. and it's it's not the best not the best um way to go but I find uh, it's much better now medication but I found that frustration I think was one of the hints to me that maybe something was wrong because I just feeling that angry um, yes. about things yeah point. um did you experience a, a lot of anger so you've you're someone's telling you like you need help were you willing to go to the hospital was it more like you're going how did that work out yeah it was I had really twisted it around in my head to not be a bad thing so my my husband and my daughter was with us at the time she'd come home from school and our two boys were still in school so my husband had to figure out some kind of plan for the kids while we were going to be at the hospital so he we were driving around like to drop off my daughter and he had packed my bag and like I'd seen these preparations and I was part of these preparations and still on the way and he'd been up front the whole time I'm taking you to the hospital I've called the doctor you need help we need to go to the hospital he'd been telling me that for hours by the time we got to the hospital and I still thought we were there for some kind of surprise because I just couldn't accept that I there was something wrong with me and that's why we were there I thought he was throwing me a surprise party or my family was going to be there from Toronto visiting because wow. I was homesick still or something I thought something very elaborate that was good and then um, I was also convinced at the time that I was pregnant and I'm I was 40 I had just turned 40 but not only that I'd had my tubes tied um, after my daughter was born so I, I was obviously not pregnant but I'd right. convinced myself I was and I wouldn't believe anybody who told me that I wasn't so I kept thinking we were at the hospital for something to do with my pregnancy or I'd lost the baby or something like I just couldn't accept that we were there for a good day or two of us being in the hospital I was like no but I must be pregnant or no but when is the party gonna happen like I just couldn't Wow. process that information on a conscious level wow wow and when you first got there so were did you go to emerge, emerge or how did that yeah. work yeah, yeah we went straight to emergency um and I wasn't angry at that point I don't know that I was I wouldn't say I was angry through my first manic episode I was angry in my second manic episode but the first one I was frustrated or irritable because I felt like okay, enough is enough. Like, when is this party going to happen? Like, yeah. gotta, I got things to do. Like, I want to oh. see my family if they're here. Like, why are you keeping me waiting? But I wasn't um, angry, but I kept kind of, I kept feeling like I, I was able to predict the future. And so when, in conversation with whoever I was talking to, the triage nurse or the admitting nurse, or whoever, the psychiatrist even, I kept thinking I could tell what their secrets were based on something, their body language or some a certain way they spoke or words they said. 
And so I kept repeating like whatever I thought was this great secret and what was going to happen in the future to this person. And then I would notice their reactions were like, some of them were really like, whoa, like this is kind of freaky. Like she she needs to stop talking now. And I just kept doing it. Like that's what I was doing kind of to entertain myself because I was, I still had all my racing thoughts and I couldn't get everything out fast enough. And I was so bored like waiting for whatever good thing was going to happen that I was trying to just, I guess, entertain myself. (laughs) Wow. Wow. And so that probably um, wasn't, they weren't be, weren't able to figure out what it was. And so do you think that them um, seeing the racing thoughts or, or predicting the future, or I can really relate to the um, not so much predicting the future, but thinking that I know best or that I'm going to, I remember, um, I thought there were two people in my complex and one was a really good friend that I went to teaching school with. And then another was like this really like good looking single guy. And I remember just before I went to the hospital, like I went to her house and I sat her down and I was like, this is your person. Like you need to, we need to, we should go over there right now. And I was convinced that I was going to make, get them this lovely life or whatever. And I was so intense about it. Um, yeah, so I can relate to that. So wow, then, did anything happen between them though? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't even know. No, it didn't. But it yeah, didn't. that's it's so strong, that feeling. It's so like this is absolutely correct. And yeah. they need to know. And yeah. yeah. And it feels, um, I don't know about you, but when it feels urgent. Mm-hmm. Like I need to do this immediately. Mm-hmm. Like and that I don't like, I wouldn't think of the exact thing that would happen, but things were going to fall apart if I didn't mm-hmm. tell that person immediately. And like you said, with the, the talking, uh, you can't like, I, I sometimes I could, you know, almost be like, just stop, just stop. And I couldn't, if I didn't, mm-hmm. it felt almost physically painful to not say the thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then that for me became a test when I was hypomanic. Yeah. And I was concerned and becoming paranoid and worried that I was going to go full-blown manic again. It became a test of, can I stop myself from talking? And if I could, then, okay, I'm all right. Then I'm not that wow. far gone. Yeah. 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 So that's kind of a, a hint to you. Okay. Yeah. I want to hear what happened next after. So you're in emerge and then you're telling people things, you're predicting the future, you're waiting for your party. What's going on? <laughs> Yeah. So we stayed like that for, we stayed in Emerge overnight, the Monday night, um, because there wasn't a bed available on the ward. My psychiatrist had come in and right away there, there were two psychiatrists who assessed me and right away they both said, yes, she's manic. This is suggestive of bipolar disorder. And they were peppering my husband with questions about, um, does she have, you know, an alcohol problem or Mm -hmm. has she ever had a substance abuse problem? And they were just trying to piece it together because, um, it's, it's less common for a 40 year old person to right. present with her first manic episode, especially if she doesn't have any of those kind of abuse problems. Um, so right away, they knew though, they did all their tests. My husband said, he told me the next day they had taken me for an MRI in the middle of the night, the Monday night. But by that point, they'd been giving me some medication. So I was asleep and I, I completely slept through this MRI. I don't remember <sighs> it at all. Yeah. And the next day um, there was a, bo- a bed available on the ward. So they transferred me to the ward 
And at that point I was like, why am I here? Like, I thought we were here for a party. Like I was still really in denial for days. I was in denial, even after I'd been in the ward for two or three days. And I was just slightly starting to come down from my mania because I was taking like antipsychotics and they put me on lithium right away, which I'm still on lithium. And so I started coming out like ever so slowly. And so even days into being on the ward, I was still asking any new nurse who came on the floor, like, are you sure I'm not pregnant? I feel like there's something they're not telling me. Like, can you please check my chart? And it was just so I couldn't accept it. It was just so overwhelming to me. Wow. Wow. And um, when you were thinking that, like, did you feel um, mostly confused or did you feel like, like you said, like they're holding back or, or like, angry uh, at what's going on or mostly just confused I was mostly confused I was angry with my husband uh, like uh, from time to time especially the meeting we had Um, I had a meeting with my nurse and my psychiatrist like early on in the first few days and it was when my psychiatrist told me that I would have bipolar one and I was still really like out of it. So I was like, why is my husband not here? Like he should be here for this. So then I was angry with him and he was angry with them because he had told them, don't tell her that news without me being here. Right. And they just done it anyway, because they're busy and they had to work around their schedules. And so there were a lot of miscommunications. So every time um, there was a miscommunication with one of the nurses, I would, it would frustrate me. And then I would often take it out on my husband because, well, I would take it, I would yell at the nurses too, because I felt just like I was being ganged up on. And I did feel like they were keeping things from me. I didn't, there even things like, like there was a sign on, this was actually the second time I was hospitalized, but there was a sign behind the desk that said today is Wednesday or whatever day it said. It always said that no matter what the day was. And there was one clock right at the nurse's station and we had to give over our phones when we arrived we weren't allowed to have our phones so I was so disoriented because I never knew what day it was and the sign always told me it was Wednesday and I would have to go and check the nurse's station to see what the time was on the clock and it was just all these little things that added up to miscommunication and misunderstanding and it just made me more frustrated and yeah confused I was so confused yeah. yeah. And you're already kind of trying to show, Hey, I'm okay. I want to go home. I'm okay. Yeah, so but you don't even know what day it is. I don't know what day it is but because they're not changing the sign. I asked that nurse when I was leaving, I said, why does that say it's Wednesday every day? Cause I'd been there for almost two weeks. And she said, Oh yeah, I should really change that. And I was like, what? <laughs> that's your answer. Like that's, I needed that sign the whole time I was here. I needed that sign. Yeah, this was my lifeline. Yeah, and it, was it was always Wednesday. <laughs> it, was, it was always wrong. Yeah. Oh, and so um, at that time, were you sleeping like at night, um, like tr- getting a regular sleep schedule, or was it like did you sleep some in the day? Like, what did no, do you I remember don't, what I, the days kind of looked like? Yeah, the days were. Um, most days my husband came when he could and he would take me once I'd been there a few days I was allowed to go walk around the hospital I was allowed to leave the ward I wasn't at first but when he would come it was like very pleasant because I would have his company and we if we went off ward then I was allowed my phone because he could bring my phone for me and 
But if I was just in the ward, um, there was group therapy, which it wasn't like how, you know, TV group therapy is like in a circle. Like we never sat in a circle and just, just talked. It was always, we had some kind of activity. Okay. I really enjoyed group therapy. What, there was one day we did gardening and there was one day we did a drumming circle and there was, um, we would go for walks a lot as a group around that, the outside grounds of oh, the hospital wow. and yeah and there were the best day was um there was a ymca in the hospital so they had a rock climbing wall and we went as a group for group therapy we went down and we would work out sometimes and this one day we did the rock climbing wall and it was just spectacular so we would do that that was a really good part of my hospital experience um other things we could do like they had a lot of things activity centers where we could do arts and crafts or we could there was a TV and lots of movies and some video games for anyone who wanted to do that. Um, yeah, I didn't sleep in the day. I'm not a good napper, so I don't typically go and lie down to nap. I started to work out like once I could. There was an exercise bike on the floor that I would use because I wasn't allowed to go to the YMCA unsupervised. Right. And then I would try to read, but I couldn't read. I always, I'm a voracious reader and I've yeah. always loved reading. But so that was a really sad thing for me when I was manic was that I couldn't concentrate or focus long enough to read a paragraph, let alone yeah. a book. So yeah, I couldn't I'm read. same, same as you. And it's so frustrating because so I want to, I, uh, what I do now, when, if I, if I get somewhat hypomanic or I can't like finish a show, like I'm just, I can't finish things or I I get that I started reading magazines because oh, okay. it was smart like short articles and then now like on Facebook or what or whatever right. uh, you can read like articles because I couldn't get through like I'd read the same page like a yeah. hundred times and I'm like okay yeah. this is not working no yeah. and it's supposed to be something that makes you feel good and it would just make me more frustrated yeah I spent a lot of time journaling in the hospital. Um, one of the nurses early on, I never really knew what they had at the nurse's station because sometimes I would ask for something and they would have it kind of randomly, like nail polish remover. There was like early on in going there, I, my nail my nail polish was really irritating me because it was all chipped, but it wasn't yeah. chipped enough to come off. And you know, you get stuck in your mind when you're manic with one thing that. So it was really irritating me. So I asked her and she just happened to have nail polish remover. And then other times I would ask for kind of basic things like Vaseline or something that she would, they wouldn't have or wouldn't have readily available. But anyhow, they had journals. One time I went and asked, do you have any kind of like something that's bound? Cause they had lots of free paper that I didn't, yeah. I wanted like a, a lined and she gave me this nice journal. So I kept writing my thoughts in there and I would do little doodles and sketches and stuff. And that was helpful. And then the day I was leaving, I was packing up my stuff and someone, one of the other patients saw my journal and was like, where did you get that? I didn't know they have journals. Like these are things we can use. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's such a good um, coping mechanism. And what, like, I didn't go to the hospital. I went to this short stay. Um, I could go in and out or treatment it was almost like just to watch me go off the one med that made me manic and go on the new one. So it was basically like that. So it was very different than a psych ward, but I, I wish that I had like a journal. I couldn't sit down long enough. And actually to this day, um, 
like writing journaling stresses me out. Like I, I oh, like, really? should, what's the best thing to be writing? Should I get it out? Da, 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 da. How long am I going to do this? Like, I just, I just can't. But if I do like verbal journaling or um, I talk to a friend or, or, or whatever, and I can do micro blogging, like in that um, I can sit down and write like a long Instagram post. Right. Yeah. But I just journaling for journaling sake, I can't do. And I'm so envious of people. And I so wish I had that. And then now, like, I'll have like this amazing conversation with someone and have like a light bulb moment. And then I'm like, it's not down on paper. Like I can't go back to it. And I wonder if <laughs> yeah, there was one point. I never in, thought of that. That's yeah, a really good aspect of journaling. I know. I wish I could, but I, I've gotten to a point. I used to beat myself up. Like, what's wrong with you? You can't even journal. I can't color either. Like, I just get it. it I get anxious. Really? Much less now that when I'm when like that I'm medicated. But yeah, I can now. But before it was just like this whole like, when is it going to get done? Am I going to sit here yeah. the whole time? What color? This doesn't look good. Da, da, da. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I totally know what you mean. So when I'm manic, coloring yeah. is very relaxing for me. It's like, okay, I just have to do this part. And then if I want to keep going, I'll keep going. And if I don't, I don't. And, but it's very calming when I'm nice. stable coloring. I'm just like that. I'm, I'm yeah. sitting there thinking, okay, how long am I doing this for? Like, I, I don't see the point in doing this. Why am I here? Like what? I got to go cook dinner. Like this is not working. Yeah. 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 I remember scrapbooking. I was so inspired and I, I don't know if I felt like I was going on a holiday, maybe like you, I was trying to convince myself, but I like packed my whole, like back when scrapbooking was cool, like this whole suitcase of like, I'm on this going on this vacation, <laughs> right? Because I had littles, like my kids were like yeah. three and five. So this was actually like a, a break, not a great break. No, and but more like better a than the grocery out. store. <laughs> yeah. And, but I remember when I showed my friend later, I remember it was like wacky. I, I had family pictures but then I had like my brother was lying down I was like he was sad and we didn't know and it was like weird and wacky so I'm curious when you look back on your journals is it kind of like the very first time you look back like was it scary or weird or embarrassing or what were your feelings about it it was scary and weird and embarrassing. <laughs> it was all of those all things. Yes, because I I didn't look at them for some time, and then um, and I wrote about this in the book too. Because once I was finally like, okay, I need to figure out what I need to do to be stable. I need to work on my recovery. Like, I have to face the journals. I couldn't like put off looking at them any longer. And I had been writing in them through that whole period when I wasn't sleeping. So they were progressively more and more like kind of disturbed looking in terms of my writing that a lot of, by the time I was hospitalized, all of my journals were a mix of words and symbols because it was just not efficient to keep writing anymore. I had to get everything out as fast as I could. And so it's like a little shorthand that only I understood at the time. And I can understand snippets of it now, but other things I'm like, wow, like, what was I thinking when I, when I did these? So when I first looked at it, I was very like horrified that this had been how my mind worked. And then it progresses through the hospital, like my hospital journal, then I'm coming out of that. So at first there's a lot of sketching that's kind of all over the place. And, and then it's, um, 
kind of calmer sketching and and more words introduced and then more writing about my feelings and and it's more descriptive like my journaling um at the time it was very descriptive of exactly what had been happening like okay. well the doctor said this to me and then ernie told me this and then i was supposed to be like it was just very much like this is exactly what happened and so i don't understand because and i would write down like whatever i was feeling as a result and i found that really helpful because on the one hand I was documenting things that I was like I don't want to forget because I do have a lot of black moments from that time period I don't want to forget what they said and I don't want to um, forget even my response because like if my doctor had told me something that I would want to discuss with my husband later I sometimes would forget what I wanted to discuss with my husband about what my doctor said that I didn't want my doctor to know necessarily right. He was watching for, you know, all signs of me being yeah. non-compliant or whatever. I didn't, I didn't feel comfortable discussing it in front of him, but then I'd forget what it was. And then I felt even more frustrated at myself that I'd forgotten. So I'd write everything down kind of matter of factly. And also my feelings were also kind of matter of fact. So then looking at my journals, then progressing through that, yeah. like you really see it. Like, it's just oh, so wow. obvious. That's so fascinating. And I know you put some pictures in your book too. So mm -hmm. um, it's, I just found that so fascinating. So how long were you in the hospital? So two weeks was for the first time. Yeah, it was, I think to the day, it was exactly two weeks. And then I was, um, I'm trying to remember it seems so long ago at the time it was so vivid and yeah now it's kind of ah oh, that just whatever <laughs> but yeah the two weeks went really quickly and yeah although at the time I was day to day when am I going home I kept asking my doctor like I yeah. want to go home and yeah. so I was allowed to be um, released to his care so he was supposed to be with me constantly to make sure I was oh wow doing yeah. everything properly kind of on an ongoing basis it was very vague yeah. I even asked my doctor um my psychiatrist like he has to go to work so you know my mom yeah. would be with me but like my husband won't and that's who you're like signing me over to and my and my psychiatrist were kind of giggled about it and he just said something like I'm going to pretend I didn't hear that and I was like what does that mean like I don't know what you're supposed to do in this situation wow like, so I was really um like nervous whenever he would go to work I was like I wonder if I should come to work with him or if he yeah should, you know, like just constantly working from home this was before COVID of course so nobody constantly worked from home worked from yeah home. yeah yeah wow and by the end of the two weeks, had you accepted your diagnosis oh, or no, no, no not, not for, I don't, I think it took me a full year to accept a full my diagnosis. Year. Yeah. By the end of the two weeks, I was sleeping properly. So at least six to seven hours of sleep a yeah. night, I was taking medication for it. Um, yeah. But my sleep had progressed into like a steady routine. And even towards the end of when I was being released um or as I was about to be released I was still in denial and believed that all I had was a sleeping problem and if I could keep my sleeping in check then I wouldn't nothing like my moods would be fine so I was I was really in, it took me a long time to accept it right right and then when you um during that time after were you comfortable telling people? Did you use the word bipolar? Did you just kind of keep it to yourself? How did that work? 
Yeah. Um, so I had started posting about it on Facebook wow. um, just to share with like my family and friends. Yeah. Yeah. So when I, um, my first pregnancy back in 2005 ended in a miscarriage and at the time I was so ashamed and embarrassed. Like there was a lot of stigma for yeah. that, at least then as well. Yeah. And I learned from that experience, I had to join a support group and talk about it. And so I learned that I need to talk about things to not yeah. feel that shame and stigma. So I knew I wanted to talk about it when I was released from the hospital. So I started by doing it online because that for me, I, anyway, that's easier. I feel like that's an easy way to just share it without having to yeah how like know people's responses or create right. any kind of awkwardness in the conversation and then um I remember that fall I started seeing some of I I obviously I had some friends on my Facebook account too but I was kind of posting updates for my family back in Toronto but friends would see them as well or acquaintances who are on Facebook and in the fall I started seeing some of those some of the people who I knew knew that I was bipolar, right. but we'd never actually talked about it. And I wasn't right. openly talking about it with any, it was very awkward for me. There's one, there's one part of that in the book where there was one mom who I kind of knew a little bit briefly. And she said, like, she brought it up. Like she said something like you, you know, Oh, I saw what you've been posting. And, you know, she said, everyone has their thing. And I was like, what does that mean? I don't understand. Is that like supportive or yeah. Are you dismissing my experience yeah. or telling me to get over it? So I didn't know how to react to that. And I was really afraid of telling people generally, but I knew I had to, if I wanted to, you know, recover. Yeah. So um, a couple of times later that fall towards Christmas, we were at some social events where I met a new person who I didn't really have to worry too much about seeing in the future if I didn't want to. So I, I said to in both separate conversations, I said, I told my story a little bit and I ended with, yeah, well, I was, you know, so I was hospitalized and it turns out I'm bipolar. And both times I started crying. Like I was oh, so yeah. uh, like just fraught with emotion from just oh, even trying to express it. Yeah, It was very, very difficult. Now I, I can tell people it's fine, but yeah. I developed a technique. Yes, I'm, tell us, that's okay. so helpful. For me, the best thing that works is to say, oh, I don't know if you know, but I'm bipolar. Yeah. Because then you, like the other person is like, oh no, I didn't know. Or yet, even if they say, oh yes, I'd heard. And then I have like my, not rehearsed, but I know what I'm going to say next, which is my little spiel of, yes, I was diagnosed in 2017. And, you know, I've been manic twice or whatever I want to say. And I wrote my book about it. And that's me kind of thing. And by that time, the person has really like they've had a, a chance to get over that awkwardness. Yeah. So they've been able to figure out how to respond in a way that's like, well, that's interesting. And, you know, did you have any suspicions or did it run in your family or like any yeah. kind of response that it's not awkward? So yeah. it really has helped a lot. I love that. And you know what? When you say that and um, I don't know if you know, you actually give them something they can answer right totally. yeah because at first like what what do you say right yeah. I, I love that because then it can 
either keep things going. I mean, it doesn't mean that it might not be awkward, but it, yeah. it just gives them something that they can respond to that is that they don't have to think about like, oh, I didn't, or yes, I did. I really exactly. like that. It's really I, been helpful because the first person I told, I remember saying like, I'm bipolar and she just, her face, like her Aww. reaction just like yeah. crumpled. She got teary. I started crying. Like, it was awful. It was so much worse than it had yeah. to be. And you're like, she am was I lovely. Do this she was a it? lovely person. Yeah. And still it was so hard. Yeah. But yeah, exactly. Am I going to do this from now on? Yeah. And I think too, like, like you said, people are like, oh, you know, you put out in the internet and da, da, da. But sometimes in everyday regular life, like, like um, my kid, my, one of my daughters did a project on it and she actually, I didn't know, but had talked about my podcast and this was before I'd met the teacher. So I was just like, or even now when I say, yeah, I podcast or probably how you say I wrote a book. And when people say, oh, what's it about? Yeah. Right. You're like, "Ah." oh, here we go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard. And uh, yeah, I do. I, I I think I'm going to steal that from you. I really, I really do like that a lot. That's fine. I love it. And it's, applicable for so many awkward things when you yes. have to share right? like, yeah. it's, just, it's an easy way out for the other person so you can just yeah. run with it and then yeah and I, sometimes I'm I glad you like people it. into it like I'm like yeah it's a mental health advocacy podcast but then I have to say like this is what it's called and I'm like our title's pretty clear <laughs> yeah but I love that I think it's really important to just be out there and hundred percent I I when I saw your Instagram account back when I think it was pretty soon after I joined as well that I noticed it I was like yes <laughs> this is what I want to be looking at is yeah. this content right here Aww. and it's because your name grabbed me right oh that makes me so happy yeah we we talked a lot about about what to what to call it but um we thought that that was one of the most honest titles we could we could 100%. choose yeah. right yeah so walk me through so we know I know from your book you had a, a period of time where you know you were just living you were you know as stable as you could be on medication um how, about how long was was that before your, sure. your next episode yeah it was exactly one year so oh. Yeah, Mother's Day weekend, um, 2017 and 2018, I was manic and then hospitalized. But so spring is really my time to be manic. (laughs) It's really when I, I feel like I should be a bear and I should be hibernating through winter and then I just want to wake up in spring. But that spring in 2018, so I had been taking lithium um, since my first hospitalization and I had been weaned off the olanzapine um, through the summer because that was just for my manic episode and my psychiatrist said we could try and see how things went and it seemed to be fine without it so I was still taking a little lithium but we my psychiatrist and I had talked about in May at the one year mark I want to try wean off the lithium because um, for me I was still in denial not necessarily that I was bipolar I kind of thought okay whatever I mean I'm sensitive, I'm bipolar. Like I like these are just two labels, so fine. But yeah. to me, I thought I lived 40 years without lithium. I don't need lithium for the rest of my life, like my psychiatrist told me I did. So, but he'd agreed, yes, we'll wean off of it. And then I can't really remember my what I was thinking, but in April, 
like one month shy of the one year mark of having his supervision and I decided to reduce it myself. I just didn't want to wait one more month. I guess I was maybe already starting to feel a little confident or maybe a little hypomanic. So I, I reduced it. And about three weeks later, I was manic again. I was totally manic. And I was watching myself for signs over those three weeks to be like, okay, um, you know, if this starts happening, then I'll start taking the, the lithium again and I'll be fine. And it's not going to start happening though, because I'm going to reduce it. And it's not yeah. even, it's not even nothing. It's still, it was still two thirds of my overall dose. So I'll be fine with two thirds and then I can reduce it more and I can show everybody that I never needed it in the first place. Yeah. So of course I went manic again, um, like three weeks later and I had to tell it's in the book. I had to tell my husband and my psychiatrist and it was just a disaster. Everybody Aww. was just really angry and upset with me, which I couldn't. And I still think is a horrible reaction, especially yeah. like my psychiatrist has seen this enough times. I think he should know to respond better. My husband, like he didn't, I can understand that he didn't know yeah. what was appropriate and how likely it was that I would have gone off my meds on my own. So it was, yeah, it was really lousy. So I was hospitalized again for almost two weeks again. Yeah, yeah. I actually wanted to read a part of your book because I thought it explained um, mania so well. So it says, but when the snow melts and flowers appear, it's like I come alive again. It's like I fall asleep when summer ends. So I don't remember to mix food or pay attention to taste or smell or sound. And then spring arrives and I wake up. And I remember, or my sub subconscious wakes up and remembers that my ideas were good and I should do them again. And suddenly I'm more aware, which is great because I enjoy life more, but it's scary because I don't know if I'll get carried away again and enjoy life too much. The high is just really, really great. It's so tempting. People take a lot of drugs and pay a lot of money to experience the high I get from mania. And then it says, and I think this all the time, if big pharma could create a legal pill that brought on good mania symptoms and none of the bad, they would do it in a heartbeat. And I was totally. like, I think that all the time. And I think it's really common. And especially for our listeners that don't struggle um, with living with bipolar disorder or um, mania of any, and of any sort, they, they just think, oh, you know, what's your problem? Why would you go off it? Or like, you know, almost like you even said that your doctor didn't respond well. But what people don't understand is when you have depression, it's so horrible. And then even feeling a little bit better, but then to feel the opposite is, it just feels so good to give that up, right? Totally. And, and I, I admit, sometimes I still, you know, still think, well, maybe if I just went down a little bit, I could get a little bit of it. But I've had it long enough to know <laughs> that the other part is, is not worth it. And um, I'm curious, I, I feel like, I feel like a lot of people and I, I wonder why your doctor gave you that, um, that feeling, I feel like a lot of people because there's so much stigma around medication, uh, immediate thought is, you know, when I get off, or I only have to take this for a little bit. And I feel like, Sometimes doctors give false hope because I think that the, my first part of healing was just that, so what if I never get off of it, right? Like if yeah. this helps me and this is what I need, uh, I was all, always curious about, do you know what I mean? Like once you- I know totally that, what you mean. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm confused about why he would say, Oh, in one year, we'll like to give you that, especially when we get like obsessive thoughts or intrusive thoughts, like we might fixate on that. I'm curious. Totally. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's interesting. I mean, obviously I don't know exactly his thought process, but he, at the start, when he diagnosed me in that meeting where I was really upset, um, he told me I would need lithium for the rest of my life. And when I started talking about it, I think it was probably January the following year when I started like trying to make my case for like, I don't think I need lithium. I think I'll be okay. I think it was maybe a combination of, so he really, as you know, from my book, he really liked my husband. Yes. <laughs> like it used to frustrate me so much. Yes. Buddy, buddy relationship. But he, he, um, I think he thought maybe my support was good enough that we could try it and just see how it went. And maybe I wouldn't need it. Maybe I'd be okay. But also there were some times where he, um, my husband would come to some, to quite a few of my appointments and he would ask, my doctor would ask for my husband's opinion about like how I'd been and, you know, like if things seemed stable, if I seemed good. And the constant for that first year was I was depressed. Like I had a low grade depression for that entire year until I started, until I went off the medication and went manic. Um, It was just like everything about me was numb. I had no creativity. I had no drive. I wasn't even that interested. Like, of course I was still, you know, looking after my children, but I wasn't really even that interested in doing things with them or going to school assemblies or performances or whatever I had this low-grade depression and then through fall it dipped even lower yeah so when my husband was talking with my psychiatrist he was like she's not great like she's not terrible but she's not herself that's for sure yeah and maybe that came into play a little bit that like well if she's not doing like if she's depressed then we can see I think his idea was just you know she wants it so much we'll just try it out and see where we go yeah. But, and that was so dramatic for you, just that little bit that it kicked you right back in. And I think totally. that's really important for our listeners to hear, like, please do it under supervision if you are yes. going to, because any little thing, and it's very hard to come back from, right? Like 100%. once you start. Well, so once I was in it, I was in it. Like I was manic in a heartbeat and I was hospitalized and everybody was angry and I was angry and it was just bad. But the good thing that came out of that was the, like your attitude of, okay, this is the medication I need. As soon as I was released from hospital, I was like, okay, so I'm on lithium the rest of my life. That's fine. Like, let's move on. So then I had, I was able to have my acceptance and figure out how to be stable and move on. Yeah. Cause often we think the first time, like, oh, that was a fluke or exactly, you know what I mean? And so when it happens again, you're like, okay, this is this is my life and I need to manage this. This is what I do and it's not the end of the world. Wow. Wow. One of the other things that kind of a common theme through your book, and I just, it just reminded me of the stigma. And there was one part that, that I wanted to read and just about how, whenever you were, you know, in doctors meetings or even within the hospital and without always this sense of, 
um, monitoring yourself, right? And always this sense of, well, if my husband said it, that would be totally fine. But because people know and are monitoring me, everything I say, like, am I speaking too fast? Did that make sense? Like you were just always so, that part just broke my heart that it was always, yeah, just the monitoring. And I feel that even now, right? It's like, no, maybe I'm just excited about this. Or maybe I'm just sad. Like what people I don't think understand is we're not always depressed or manic, right? I mean, some people are a little more, I can't speak to everyone's experience, but there's a big chunks where it's just like, hum-de-dum, right? And that's why it takes a long time to get diagnosed. And yeah, but um, in here it says, um, so uh, it's, you're thinking about your husband and you're in this meeting. You're like, he has issues too. Like just like everybody, but there's no stigma attached to them, nor is anyone watching and judging his every move. He's not a freak show like me. He hasn't been pigeonholed as unbalanced, incompetent, violent, or dangerous. I found that really powerful because those are the big labels that get stuck to us. Right. And you said there's so much misinformation and ignorance to overcome before society is no longer afraid of people like me is willing to believe people like me is willing to help people like me. This fight is daunting, but I can work slowly one person at a time, starting with my husband. And then it just says, just not tonight because you were, um, you know, worn out appointment. <laughs> and I just found that so powerful and so, so true. And I think that's why I do what I do. And it sounds like from your book, that's, that's why you speak up, right? Yeah. You don't want other people to feel that way. Totally. Thanks, Shaylee. I'm glad that, I'm glad that had such an impact on you oh, and the other I, part as well. Yeah. I love that. And I loved how honest you were um, about that because I, I sometimes get like that even now, like, and a lot of times I get like, oh, you're so lucky to have your husband or whatever. Just like, he's so perfect to put up with me. And I'm just like, I know. Uh, one, I'm pretty awesome. Yeah. And two, like, yeah, like you said, they have issues. Yeah, right? totally. But I, I agree. I do still feel that not to the same extent now, because I feel I have better confidence now than when I was first diagnosed, but I do still feel like I need to be on guard with what I say around certain people. And yeah. for a while he doesn't anymore, but my husband would kind of you know, he'd use the like, are you sure? Are you maybe overreacting? (laughs) Yes. And and it went from being like, because it was like PMS to being like bipolar and menopausal, like which one is going to be your excuse for me having a reaction today kind of thing. Yeah. There are things I know, like even there are jokes that I know I think are funny and I don't make them. I won't put anything on social media if it's like, if there's any chance it could come back to bite me because people could react based on me being bipolar. Yeah. So it's, it's something I've kind of just accepted, but yeah, but it's hard. I I dream of a day where it, where it's not like, like that. And I think if we take away stereotypes and share more stories, like you are now um, people won't automatically think that, right. They won't, they'll see us as person first, not illness first. And so Um, Yeah, before we wrap up, I wanted to ask you something. Um, What was there something beautiful or wonderful? Or what was the best thing that someone said or did for you during during this time? Yeah, I have a great one. Um, So when we moved to Toronto, I had to find a new psychiatrist. Mm. And I was lucky, I got very lucky in that I didn't have to wait 
terribly long. I had to wait a short while, but um, I found this fantastic psychiatrist. And one day I was complaining to him about being too sensitive in terms of like my before bed ritual. I can't do anything where I'm thinking for like a two hour, two to three hour chunk before bed. Like I have yeah. to really have that downtime. Whereas in university, I used to study and then I would just crash and it was like no big deal. I didn't have my whole bedtime routine. And I was complaining about being too sensitive and how it relates to being bipolar. And he said, well, you're like a Stradivarius violin. You're so sensitive because you're so exquisite. Oh, that's <laughs> like, wow, that sure makes everything else pale in comparison, right? Yes, oh, I am. I felt I that. <laughs> yeah, it was marvelous. Like it was just, it's, it was the best. And my old psychiatrist in Calgary, who was good, but he wasn't the same. He used to talk about bipolar as a disease and I used to feel disease. Like it's really mm -hmm. this perspective we, we put on this condition or anything really that can change our acceptance and getting rid, being able to get rid of stigma. Yeah, yeah. And I think like, I hope that people see the beauty that we put out there, the art, the, and thinking about things differently. Like, I know sometimes my husband or other people are like, oh, I never thought of it that way. Or I'm really like, uh, anything to do with social injustice. I feel very, very passionate about it. And I can, yeah, and I, I can say things that are uncomfortable or maybe that people don't call out just because it's almost like my illness doesn't let it be quiet but what would happen if we didn't have those people I think people would miss our exquisiteness definitely yes <laughs> and to wrap it up um if there's someone listening um right now and they're struggling um what would what would you say to them um it reminds me of what my husband said to me when I was struggling in that first year after my diagnosis, um, I remember talking to him and he's not a very emotional, sensitive kind of person. Mm -hmm. So I was trying to open up about feeling low and he, he, opened, he told me to basically to look for small moments of joy oh. and to wherever I can just find something that makes me feel good no matter how minor it is because the mm -hmm. more of those I can stack up then I can start to feel better just in general so oh I love I that so look for the beauty and the small moments because you know sometimes our brains and I know mine can only latch on to the negative we have to remind ourselves totally. like that there are beautiful things and that there is even if it's the teeniest bit of light that yeah to try to try our best to look at that. And I always say, um, you know, if, if I can't have hope, can I borrow some of yours or find someone that you can, that can see some beautiful things in your life and point them out to you. So that's yeah. beautiful. It's yeah. beautiful. Well, thank you so much. Um, thank you, I just, your voice is just so powerful and so compassionate and beautiful. And everyone needs to run and buy your book. <laughs> it's called um, Crazy um, Mom Gone. Memoir of a Mom Gone Mad. A Mom Gone it's Mad. A nice, it's a nice short one for everyone yeah. to remember. <laughs> for people to remember. And we'll put it in the show notes and um, her website as well, which is probably the best place to find the link. 
um, to buy the book and go and follow her on social media. She has a really amazing post and she also shares lots of book recommendations, which I love. And um, I'm just so, so grateful that you're putting yourself out there and that you came and spoke to me today. So thank oh, you. Thank so you. Much. Thank you for having me. I'm so grateful to you. <laughs>